Tonight we're going to begin a new study by Dr. Burke Parsons, and it's entitled The Great Commission. Um, <clears throat> so, Great Commission is kind of a title that we've given to um, verses 16 through 21 of, of Matthew chapter 28. So please turn there with me uh, tonight in your Bibles, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 21. <clears throat> We're going to spend a few weeks uh, walking through this together. So the, here, the, the word commission basically meaning an, an instruction or a command or a duty given to a person or a group of people. So then these words that, that Jesus gives are, are great, their instruction. Their commands, their, their duty, it's a duty given to believers. So if we're believers, if we've been redeemed by God's grace, if we've been ransomed from hell, if we've been regenerated by the, the work of God, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, if we've been united to Christ in his death and resurrection, then these instructions are for us. Um, so here... We come to the last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew, and um, Jesus has gone through his the, the Passion Week. He's been crucified and raised from the dead, but has not yet ascended back to the Father. And so he meets with his disciples here in Galilee, and he gives them instructions. He, he gives them commands that they're to follow after he's ascended to the right hand. Of the Father. Um, and it's very interesting to me, it was helpful to, to gain this perspective that um, before we begin diving into the actual verses, Dr. Parsons talks about the, the view that we should have of these verses or, or the lens that we should see these verses through and, and the focus that we should have as we read and understand these verses. And the focus is Jesus himself. Jesus is the focus of the Great Commission. It's very different from how I normally would view these verses. When we come to these verses, the way I immediately begin processing what's going on here and start to think through it is to look at the commands, at what I'm supposed to do. I immediately jump to that without seeing here that Christ himself is central to what is going on. Um, and so letting that be the primary focus. So it's not about us. It's not about what we're to do primarily, but it's about Jesus. And then from a right focus on who Jesus is, and in our worship of him comes our obedience to the command. And we're going to see that truth brought out in a, a huge way tonight um, when we look through and work through this lesson that is called, uh, They Worshipped Him. They Worshipped Him. It's a phrase that comes from, uh, from these verses. And so look with me tonight, please, at verse 16 and, and follow as I read. Here it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So earlier in this chapter of Matthew, we're told that Mary and the other Mary went to the tomb. There was a great earthquake and, and an angel rolled back the stone from the tomb and sat on it. And the angel tells these women, he says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And then Matthew tells us that they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet. And they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. So we have this um, account of, of what happens here at, at the resurrection. Uh, the disciples received these directions to go to Galilee. And we read that they were obedient to do that in verse 16. And then we read that just like the women who who went to the tomb in verse 9, the 11 disciples here, it's, it's the 12 minus Judas, Judas Iscariot that, that betrayed him, the, the 11 worshipped him. This word, um, it, it literally means to kiss toward. Kind of reminds me of Psalm 2 where it tells us to kiss the sun. Um, and the meaning in the, the Greek to English dictionary is this. To express an attitude or gesture one's complete dependence on or submission to a high authority figure. Fall down in worship. Prostrate oneself before to do reverence to. And then Dr. Parson points out here that, that this kind of worship in Scripture is something that we see involving the whole person. It's, it's their mind, it's their emotion, it's their posture. Uh, we see them falling down on their face quite frequently. We, we see this taken in uh, Genesis 17 with Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. Before him. We read in 2 Chronicles. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. In Ezekiel, as I know you guys have as you've been going through it in, in Sunday school, there's many times in Ezekiel where it talks about this. That this is one example. Then he 
He brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple, and I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord, and I fell on my face. Um, just this picture we have of, of worship of God. And then John, in the New Testament, is given a view into heaven in the book of Revelation, and he records this. And he said, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. And so it's this idea of being confronted with the glory of God and his majesty and falling down flat on our faces in worship of him because he is worthy. And we begin to see um, as we work through the word of God and, and what it has to say about worship and who God is and who we are, we find that worship is the very reason that we were created. It is, it's the foundational purpose of our lives. The Westminster Shorter Catechism states that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify means to worship, to praise, to, to honor, to proclaim the goodness of God. It's for this purpose we were created. And, and this, this worship is not to be thought of as, as a means to an end. There's not something that we worship in, in order to gain or to get for ourselves. Worship is the end in and of itself. Our lives are to be defined by this worship. And, and in, in a very real way, all of our lives are, are worship. We see in places like 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even something as necessary and, and as ordinary as what we consume by eating and drinking is to be done in such a way that is worshipful to God. So then as we live our lives out this way, we, we then, on the first day of the week, we all come together and worship as a congregation on, on Sunday morning together. And then for the rest of the week, we worship individually as we live our lives before the Lord. Um, and so when we talk about worship, um, what are some ways that we can, we've talked about how in a very real way it's, it's every second of, of life, but then there's also ways in which we come to um, the word and we, we come in prayer and we, we have this focused aspect of, of worship with the Lord. And when we, we talk about that, we, we're talking about this daily uh, communion with God, just being with Him, hearing from God through His Word and, and by His Spirit. And it's important to note here, we're not talking about a casual reading through Scripture. We, we, we're talking about devouring. We're talking about savoring. We're talking about feasting on the written Word of God as He communicates Himself to us through it. We're, we're talking about communicating back to him through earnest and through, through focused prayer. 
So then the mission of God, the reason that we were created and the reason that we're sustained on this earth is worship. And we see that being fulfilled here in verse 17 as these disciples worship the Lord. Now as we start to look at the way that worship is related to the Great Commission, I think it's been summed up so well by um, and so concisely by John Piper who wrote this, that missions exist because worship does not. Mission exists because worship does not. So the primary reason this Great Commission is here is because God is worthy of worship from every created thing, from every person. And those who have not heard the gospel and have not repented and have not believed do not know him, and therefore they do not worship him. And so then we are to go and to take the truth to the nations that God might receive the worship that he is due from his creatures. Missions exist because worship does not. These 11 here in verse 17 met Jesus in Galilee and they worshiped him. And now look at me at look with me at the, the very end of verse 17. It's a very interesting phrase that we find. It says, but some doubted. Some doubted. And we're we're not told a lot about this. We're, we're not given a lot of detail. Um we're not specifically told who doubted. We're not specifically told what they doubted. It just simply says that some doubted. And it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to understand exactly what's being said here. Um, we do know um, that the same Greek word that's used here is, is also used in Matthew 14. Um, you might remember when Peter, he, he goes out walking on the water to Jesus. And it says that he saw the wind, and he was afraid, and he began to sink down into the water. And then it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So, so there in that verse, the doubt is connected to little faith. And so the meaning here of, of doubt in verse 17 of Matthew 28 could, could take the meaning of, of a hesitation, of not really knowing what to do in this particular situation. It's kind of a form of uncertainty. Um, And we do know that there were some of the 11 that it, did, it took a little longer to come around to belief than others. Right? We think of, of Thomas, uh, who was initially uncertain of what to make of Jesus' death and, and his resurrection. Um, we know that Peter denied Christ. We know that all the disciples scattered at his arrest. And so, um, though they did believe, though they did worship, there's still some kind of hesitation or doubt going on here um, during this time. However, we do see also after Jesus' ascension back into to heaven in Acts and in the coming of the Holy Spirit that these disciples were 
empowered and, and emboldened in a great way to do mighty things for the Lord. And so Dr. Parsons, he, he points out here that before we're too quick to, to look down or, or think less of these disciples because of their doubt, that we should remember that we all have doubts and fears and uncertainties when it comes to the Great Commission. We all do. Accomplishing the, the Great Commission, it, it means things like sacrifice on our part. It, it means giving. It means praying. It means going. It means being uncomfortable in different situations. It means putting ourselves out there to have the message that we bring and, and the Jesus that we, we share with these people rejected. It means confrontation. It, it means discussions with friends and family about the, the truth of sin and, and justice and, and the wrath of God. And all of these things can make us unsure or hesitant about sharing the truth that we have. But the incredible thing is that just like he did with the 11 disciples in this passage, the Lord still calls ordinary doubting believers to carry out this great commission. And we know that the, the true fulfillment of this commission starts it, it, with every single individual person. It starts with the family. It starts with the local church. And... I really appreciated the way um, that this was brought out. And, and one of the huge keys to doing this is to make the Great Commission ordinary. Or we could use the word normal. So conversations about the gospel and about scripture and about doctrine and about obedience in the Christian life should just be a part of the normal, everyday lives that we lead. Right? As we grow in our faith, it should become to us just as normal as breathing is. I mean, we should have times in our homes with our families that we set aside for devotions and, and reading the Word together and sharing thoughts that we have. But we should also, it should also be the case that that Jesus and things of the faith just regularly occupy start casual conversation with one another. At home and, and with the family and with friends. Just because it's what, it's what we're interested in. It's, it's what's on our mind. That's where our thoughts are. And so our, our conversation just naturally flows that way. Therefore, the, the Great Commission then just kind of becomes a part of the fabric of, of who we are and, and what we think about and what we talk about to others. Um, we'll close tonight with, with one uh, statement that, that Dr. Parsons made. It, this is something that is very convicting uh, and it's very thought-provoking and it's very motivating when we see this and, and think about it. And he, he states that because of the connection that we talked about between worship and the Great Commission, that we cannot faithfully worship God if we're not actively fulfilling the Great
the Great Commission in our lives. And so I would challenge you the, this week to consider that, to, to think through that. I think about it in your own heart, in your own mind this coming week. And so uh, next week we'll come back and we'll continue to talk about this. We'll continue to walk through these verses uh, at the end of the book of Matthew in, in these coming weeks. So let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, that You have created us. You sustain us. You, uh, Lord, as believers, you've regenerated us. You've saved us. You have enabled us to, to worship you or to serve you. Um, Lord, I pray that, that as we think about our lives, every aspect of our lives, but Lord, especially in relationship to the Great Commission as we look at this these set of verses in the coming weeks, Lord, that you would help us to examine ourselves. Father, help us to, um, to share. Help us to go. Father, help us to be obedient to your word. And so, Father, we thank you for this, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you.